Welcome to Celebrate Poe, episode 193, The Most Evil Family in America. My name is George Bartley, and in this episode, I'm going to look at a Netflix six-part series based on true events, a series called Painkiller that could be considered a great background uh, for understanding Mike Flanagan's interpretation of the fall of the House of Usher. Uh, Now, uh, I wasn't a member of Netflix at the time, uh, shortly before I uh, wrote this podcast script, so I subscribed on uh, Tuesday of last week, uh, two days before the premiere of The Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix. But based on the fact that the uh, Netflix version is based on, uh, well, shall we say, highly dysfunctional family and their dominance of a fictional pharmaceutical company, I first thought that it might be a good idea to look at a real-life situation that I've come to believe informs the Mike Flanagan take. On Netflix, that series is an examination of the Sackler family, the true story of an incredibly wealthy pharmaceutical company and the characters involved, at least on the top level, uh, they're not fictional, such as those of The Fall of the House of Usher. Now, I first logged on to Netflix after a personal absence of about six or seven months. I decided this time to go with the $20 level, thinking uh, that, well, I would only use Netflix for just one month. And uh, I was surprised to see that many of the programs offered by Netflix were leftovers from several months ago. Uh, There really just wasn't a great supply of new content. The Pale Blue Eye was still on Netflix, and I certainly wasn't going to watch that again. Uh, But I did notice a film directed by Mike Flanagan based on a book by Stephen King called Gerald's Game. I was quite impressed by the book, and I tried to get a DVD version from the library, but it just wasn't available. Well, after uh, seeing a portion of Gerald's game, I can see why. It is unbelievably boring. That's my opinion. The initial plot, that, on the other hand, is really interesting. A wife and a husband go to a remote cabin in the woods, and a husband ties up the wife with handcuffs for a bondage encounter. And uh, those handcuffs are are all but impossible to get out of. Well, during the middle of their feisty sexual encounter, uh, he has a heart attack, and his wife is stuck to the bed for the rest of the movie. Her attempts to get out of the handcuffs make, uh, well, uh, interesting reading uh, in Stephen King's novel, uh, but I think are really quite boring in a film. I feel her plight just doesn't transform well to video. I I barely made it through half of the movie. I looked at six or seven other movies on Netflix, but couldn't really get into them until I came to a six-part series called painkiller. This even had a slight connection to the Mike Flanagan version of The Fall of the House of Usher. You see, Flanagan's version is about an extremely dysfunctional family in the pharmaceutical business. 
Painkiller, unfortunately, is most definitely not a fictional story, but an all-too-real account of greed, selfishness, corruption, and the deaths of thousands of people due to the opioid crisis. Interesting enough, in expressing evil and a dysfunctional family, the Netflix version of The Fall of the House of Usher revolves around an imaginary Fortunato pharmaceutical company. And it is easy to see a similar expression of evil and a dysfunctional family in the real-life Sacklers. So before this podcast gets into the pharmaceutical world of the fictional Usher family in Mike Flanagan's version, I would like to delve into the all-too-real world of the Sackler family. And I'm going to look at the Sackler family and their role in selling the opioid Oxycontin from basically two similar perspectives. The Sackler family uh, did make a great deal of money with their pharmaceuticals, and their donations of art can be seen at such museums, the Metropolitan uh, uh, Museum of Art, the Smithsonian, the Tate Modern, and the Louvre. They rose in prominence, meaning the Sackler family, but others paid dearly. You see, the Sacklers became quite wealthy, largely as a result of the sales of that opioid, Oxycontin. By the numbers, opioids have already killed more than half a million people in the United States in just two decades. A cousin, Kathy Sackler, actually boasts that Oxycontin was a very good medicine and a safe medicine, but she also claims credit for coming up with the idea, Uh, but she doesn't end there. When later confronted with the question, do you recognize that hundreds of thousands of Americans have become addicted to Oxycontin? She could only answer, "Uh, I don't know the, the answer to that question. Well, faced with pushback from the Sacklers and their pharmaceutical company, Purdue, the powers that be crept the, uh, or swept the crisis under the rug. Even the New York Times came down with a temporary case of cold feet. Despite the thousands of deaths, the Sacklers, major Republican donors, were able to furnish a full-scale counterattack starring Rudy Giuliani, Mary Jo White, formerly in charge of the Southern District of New York, and the Securities and Exchange Commission, and a bevy of other high-priced lawyers. Strings were seemingly pulled. Career prosecutors' findings and recommendations completely discounted. The company, Purdue, finally agreed to pay $600 million to to resolve a felony charge of misleading and defrauding Uh, physicians and consumers. Three executives entered guilty pleas and agreed to $34 million in penalties. None of the individuals criminally charged were Sacklers. Now, this all might sound rather technical, and legal mumbo-jumbo often does sound overly technical and even obscure, but the result was that the members of the Sackler family uh, were basically able to avoid responsibility. In in the words of a former DOJ DOJ lawyer, 
This was a, a political outcome that Purdue bought. The company named its in-house law library after one of the designated offenders and paid millions in post-unemployment compensation, a reward for taking a bullet for the team. Paul McNulty, then Deputy Attorney General, General uh, uh, helped uh, handcuff Justice John Brownlee, the federal prosecutor for the Western District of Virginia. Now, see, there was a clash with McNulty over the disposition of the case, and word spread that Brownlee's job tenure was shaky. He resigned in April 2008. Uh, for the record, James Comey, McNulty's predecessor as Deputy AG resisted Purdue's entreaties. I was personally moved by the the uh, movie shots in the Netflix version of Painkiller that took place in Western Virginia. Uh, years ago, uh, I had a job as coordinator of Deaf Ministries in the Episcopal Diocese of Southwestern Virginia. But that's another story. Anyway, I, I, I spent a great deal of time traveling to the Roanoke area and the beautiful rural mountains of southwestern Virginia. Gorgeous country, but even back then, was beginning to show the worst signs of a poverty-stricken rural area where many of the in inhabitants seemed to have given up hope. And the Netflix version does a great job of interspersing the actions of the unconcerned cyclers with the subplot of a sincere mechanic from southwestern Virginia whose life is literally destroyed by his addiction to a medically prescribed opioid, one of the thousands of addictions caused by a product from which the Sackler family became even more wealthy. The opioid epidemic is definitely a complex problem, and by largely limiting its effects to the story of one individual in the Netflix story, the audience becomes invested in the addiction and can understand more the downfall of a very likable character. Each of the six episodes begins with a parent saying, This story is based on real events. However, certain names, characters, instances, events, occasions, and dialogue have been fictionalized for dramatic purpose. What hasn't been fictionalized is the story of my child, the parent says, who was killed by opioid addiction. And then that parent shows a picture of his or her child. They're all very moving scenes. But getting back to the Netflix plot regarding the actions of the Sacklers in Painkiller, uh, based on a 1995 email, it was found out that Curtis Wright, then an FDA examiner, had turned a blind eye to the dangers posed by OxyContin. Purdue would later make Wright an executive director. Later, the House Oversight Committee would hold hearings, start holding hearings on Purdue Pharma and the Sackler's role in the opioid crisis in Washington. David Sackler, former member of the board of directors of Purdue Pharma, testified by video link during an entire, entirely virtual hearing of the U.S. House. It was as though he was saying, 
These changes are not even important enough for me to testify in person. To make the situation worse, the Federal Drug Administration actually helped pave the way for an opioid epidemic. Now stick with me. Uh, Dr. David Kessler, FDA commissioner, when OxyContin received the agency's approval, later acknowledged that it was certainly one of the, the, the worst medical mistakes. Donald Trump actually spoke of the toll of the opioid crisis, but in 2020, as Election Day loomed, the Department of Justice announced a global resolution of the government's investigation into Purdue and the Sacklers. By then, the company was in bankruptcy and the target of a barrage of civil lawsuits. And many of those same people who supported Trump were either dead or hopelessly addicted to OxyContin. The Sacklers finally agreed to pay a $225 million civil penalty. Uh, This was just a little bit more than the 2% they had taken from Purdue. But no one would be prosecuted. Asked why the government had not brought criminal charges against the Sacklers, Jeffrey Rosen, Bill Barr's deputy attorney general, declined to say. Uh, the government was so deferential towards the Sacklers that nobody even bothered to question them. Well, if the idea was to burnish the image of what might be the most hated family in America, it didn't go well. Little has been heard directly from those members of the Sackler family who own and ran, who owned and ran farm, uh, Purdue Pharma the company that turned them into multi-billionaires by selling the drug widely held responsible for creating the U.S. opioid epidemic with OxyContin. Even as revelations of greed and criminality spoiled out over the years, the Sacklers denied accusations that they had become rich by driving addiction and death. So when a United States Congressional Committee announced that David and Kathy Sackler, former members of Purdue's board, were coming out of the shadows to finally answer questions about their family's part in a drug epidemic that claimed more than half a million lives, there was finally the hope that the country might get some answers. And I know this is kind of complicated, but it happened that when the chair of the House Oversight Committee Carolyn Maloney told the Sacklers she wanted to hear them acknowledge your wrongdoing, there, was certainly, there were certainly hopes. The families and communities whose lives have been ruined deserved at least that much, she said. Uh, instead, a hearing uh, bubbling with anger saw infuriated members of Congress likening the Sacklers to the Mexican drug cartel leader El Chapo and the million-dollar fraudster Bernie Madoff. It was, uh, it was at that point that one congressman, con- uh, congressman said that he thought they were possibly the most evil family in America. Very strong words for such potentially wealthy donors. We don't agree on a lot in this committee in a bipartisan way, James Comer, the highest-ranking Republican, told the Sacklers, but I think our opinion of Purdue Pharma and the actions of your family 
we all agree, are sickening. When it was over, David and Kathy Sackler left the hearing with calls for prosecution of members of their family ringing in their ears. The two Sacklers misjudged the mood from the very start. Members of the committee had lined up a long list of of accusations over Purdue's illegal marketing of Oxycontin, a very high-strength opioid painkiller that federal agents called heroin in a pill. The company made false claims to downplay its addictiveness, aggressively marketed the drug for people who just didn't need it, and drove a change in medical culture that led to the prescribing of narcotics at a much, much higher rate than other countries. That, in turn, laid the foundations for an opioid epidemic that has lasted for decades and shows no sign of ending. Purdue already had a 2007 criminal conviction over the illegal marketing of Oxycontin, and two months ago admitted further felonies including bribing doctors to unnecessarily prescribe the drug. So Maloney was not alone on her committee in expecting that the time had come for the Sacklers to apologize and make good. Indeed, David Sackler began his testimony with a detached expression of regret for Oxycontin's role as if it were uh, an unavoidable accident not the result of a planned business strategy. Uh, He said, I still feel absolutely terrible that our product created to help and has helped so many people has also been associated with death and addiction. The mood among the committee members darkened further as their detailed questions were met with denials and evasion from the Sackler family. When Rashida Tieb the Michigan Democrat asked David Sackler about the approval of an opioid sales campaign that pushed the, pushed the drugs across America. He replied, it was a simple management-led initiative. The senator snapped back, yeah, you ran the management. For decades, Purdue was firmly under the Sackler's control as its sole owners, but with the company slipping out of the family's grasp amid bankruptcy proceedings and the new board admitting to its criminal activities, David and Kathy Sackler attempted to claim that key decisions were the responsibility of Purdue executives, not the family. But committee members noted uh, that it was David's father, Dr. Richard Sackler, who ran the company's marketing department during the Oxycontin sales drive and who was later Purdue's president. Kathy Sackler exasperated some committee members when she told the hearing, there's nothing that I can find uh, that I would have done differently as a member of Purdue's board from 1990 until two years ago. Congressman Peter Welch mocked her persistent attempt to shift responsibility from her family. Uh, Your testimony is you don't know nothing about nothing, and things happen, but you don't know how, and people are responsible, but you don't know who, he said. Maloney, the committee chair, also poured scorn on the attempts to deny responsibility. 
if the Sackler's family, if the Sackler family version of the story, or in that version, they are totally blameless. A family caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. They have pointed a, a finger at, at so-called bad apple employees, the FDA, consulting firms, and prescribers. In the past, they even blamed the patients, she told the hearing. Committee members suspected the refusal to acknowledge wrongdoing was part of a strategy to hang on to the profits of addiction. I think one of the most powerful sections of Painkiller was the portion where the company realized they were responsible for producing a highly addictive substance. And their idea of damage control was to blame the user or addict for the addictive substance and all their problems. Purdue finally agreed to pay $8 billion in penalties as part of its guilty plea to criminal charges but the company is in bankruptcy proceedings, and most of that money is unlikely to ever be paid. David Sackler was confronted with a memo he wrote to other members of his family in 2007, shortly after Purdue pleaded guilty to criminal charges over illegally marketing Oxycontin amid growing concerns of civil suits from families blighted by addiction. Uh, we're rich. Uh, for for how long? Uh, uh, until till which suits get through to the family? He wrote. Sackler denied that the memo had anything to do with the fact that the family took ten billion dollars out of the company over the following decade. Others were focused on another form of justice. A lawyer who represented a district in Kentucky, one of the state's worst hit by the opioid epidemic, was not alone in wondering why people dealing drugs on the streets are locked up while bad actors like the Sacklers walk free. Quote, the overwhelming majority of people who were incarcerated in Kentucky are there because of drug problems. They had to forfeit their assets. They have broken homes, and the cost to society is immeasurable. You, you, have, you have all created the same harm to society, yet you're one of the wealthiest families in America. I hope that the courts hold you accountable, he said. In late 2020, the Committee on Oversight and Reform of the United States House of Representatives held a hearing on the role of Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family in the opioid epidemic. We don't agree on a lot in this committee in a, bar, a bipartisan way, the ranking member, James Comer of Kentucky, said, but I think our opinion of Purdue Pharma and the actions of your family are sickening. The Sacklers were also accused of being addicted to money. Of the Sacklers' responses in the hearing, author... Patrick Radin Keith stated, they could produce a rehearsed simulation of human empathy, but were impervious to any genuine moral epiphany. Jim Cooper, a congressman from Tennessee, stated to David Sackler, watching you testify makes my blood boil. I'm not sure I am aware of any family that, that's more evil than yours. Of the Sacklers' wealth, and Richard Sacklers in particular, Keefe states, no one wanted his money. 
So I think it's pretty evident that both Republicans and Democrats agreed that the Sacklers were a truly evil family. In March 2021, Purdue Pharmacy filed a restructuring, pl a restructuring plan to dissolve itself and establish a new company dedicated to programs designed to combat the opioid crisis. The proposal was for the Sackler family to pay an additional, uh, well, $4.2 billion over the next nine years to resolve via, uh, various criminal claims in exchange for immunity from criminal prosecutions. This legal firewall was opposed by 24 state attorneys general as well as the attorney general for Washington, D.C. If the Sacklers are used to uh, allowed to use bankruptcy to escape the consequences of their actions, said the state attorney generals, or, or uh, attorney general who called the proposal legally unprecedented. It would be a roadmap for other powerful bad actors. I know this might seem all seem a bit confusing, especially with the Sacklers uh, blaming their problems on other people, but. I wanted to first delve into this real-world example of a pharmaceutical company run by uh, an evil real-life family, the House of Sackler, before examining the fictional House of Usher. And after viewing Painkiller, uh, well, uh, it tells the story of the Sackler family in a very, very engaging manner and how their actions caused an incredible amount of misery. Well, the fall of the House of Usher is going, to have, is going to have a hard time expressing evil and greed in comparison uh, to uh, this uh, movie dealing with the most evil family in America. In conclusion, with the tragedies caused by the greed of the Sackler family, uh, there was basically little restitution for the misery and pain that the Sacklers played in the opioid crisis. From what I understand, in Mike Flanagan's The Fall of the House of Usher, there is a great deal of payback, on the other hand, for the pharmaceutical company's actions. Join the next episode of Celebrate Poe as this podcast finally delves into the Mike Flanagan take on the fall of the House of Usher. And uh, for those who are really excited about the Mike Flanagan take, and, and you definitely should be, it is excellent, I would first start with Painkiller as an all-too-real background into a cutthroat pharmaceutical company. Sources include... Ralph Ellis uh, and Melanie Schumann, hundreds of cities, counties, and Native American tribes filed federal lawsuit against Sackler family over opioid crisis for CNN. Ben Sales for Who Are the Sacklers, the family at the center of the opioid crisis in the Jewish Telegraphic Agency. Joanna Walters in uh, 
an evil family Sacklers condemned as they refused to apologize for role in opioid crisis from The Guardian, Patrick Raiden Key, writing in The Family That Built an Empire of Pain, The New Yorker. And finally, well, Alex Morell, The Oxycontin Clan, the $14 billion newcomer to Forbes' 2015 list of richest U.S. families. And, of course, Netflix for the series Painkiller. Thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe.